Today, I welcome Stephen Lehek, headmaster at Kingston Grammar School in the United Kingdom. In this episode, I discuss the private state school partnerships, the future of education, technology in schools, and teacher training. So, looking back on before you obviously joined um, Kingston Grammar School, um, you were ahead at a, a state school, you're in the state sector. Um, yeah, yeah. What was the hardest part about transitioning from the state sector to the private sector? Probably, um, probably other people's expectations um, of what you would or wouldn't be like. Um, I, I mean, I really appreciate the governors, you know, I, I didn't think it at the time, but looking back, it probably was a bit of a punt on their part. They would have had some really good independent school candidates, current heads and deputy heads, and they went for this state school, albeit kind of ground school head, who said, look, I, I'm pretty sure I could do this, and I convinced them and did all the right things in terms of the interview. So from their point of view as well, maybe it wasn't so much of a, a gamble, but more of a, a leap of faith that yeah. all the things that I presented were actually going to come to fruition. But I think probably, you know, there might have been common room here were very welcoming, you know, parent body, student body, nobody kind of said But I imagine looking back, a lot of people were thinking, is he going to get it? Is he going to get the difference in, in quality and expectation and marketing and, and all the various things of kind of, you know, so come from sleepy Buckinghamshire um, to Southwest London from 1300 boys to 850 girls and boys. So the kind of co-ed thing as well. I remember answering a question in the interview where they said, so you, you've only worked in all boys schools. You've done 20 years, you know, six of them as head in all boys schools, like 13, 1400 boys. You're going to have about 400 and something boys and 400 something girls. How are you going to deal with that? I said, I've got two daughters. I know all about it. <laughs> they yeah. were like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just said to them, but I, also, you know, I, I trained as a co-ed teacher and various other things, but you know, there's lots of other things going on in my head that I'm thinking, I really want to do this and I, and I can see where I can add value. But I think there would have been lots of people who were afraid that I was going to come in and impose kind of state school systems, you know, Ofsted style regulations, yeah. um, that we must do this and must do it that way. And I'm going to put class sizes. In fact, somebody wrote to me, can't remember if it was an alumni or a former head and said, please don't take them to a rugby playing school. That's not the history. The history is hockey and rowing. Please don't turn it back into a boys school. You know, it's been co-ed for like you know, 40 years. And, and, and at first I thought it was a bit of a joke, but they were genuinely pleading with me in writing not to, you know, do where I'd come from rather than what I was coming to. And I said, of course I wouldn't. Yeah, I've gone to that school because I really believe in co-ed and independent education and everything it stands for. I'm going to make what it is better, not, 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 not kind of change it back into something it never has been or, or doesn't want to be. But that was, that was really, I think, the hardest part about the transition was other people thinking, he's not one of us. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a long time when you went to things like conferences and meetings with other people. Everyone else has come through the independent school ranks. Everyone else knows each other. So even somebody that's just been appointed as head in their school for the first year has got an advantage over me if I've been here five or six years because they know everyone. You know, they've been through all those schools. They all tend to stay within yeah. uh, the ranks of the independent sector in Southwest London. So that, that's been, it's been a steep learning curve in terms of the communications and networking. Yeah, and I suppose I think when, when everyone looks at, at heads and, and leaders on any industry, 
they, 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 they don't see that maybe some of us and maybe the majority of us do suffer at times from imposter syndrome. You wonder how we got there, what we're doing. And, you know, I think it's a real thing to feel. Um, but actually what it does with, with great leaders is, is it stretches you. It builds that, that sense of, you know, I know what I need to do. I know what I'm going to be good at this and I will do it. And so you kind of build up that, that resilience and that drive to go, no, we, I will make this happen. There'll always be perceptions of what other people think and feel, but you've got to believe in your gut. You've got to believe in what you, your direction. You've just got to go and do it. Um, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a one for kind of backing myself. And, you know, and uh, you're absolutely right with the, you have those moments where you step back and go, wow, is this, is this me? Is, is, this, is, is this on me? You know, and, and actually, you have people listening to me and actually doing what I say is really weird. But on the other hand, if anyone ever says to me, you know, oh, it must be really hard. And I say, not really. It's kind of Paul Merson, Arsene Wenger. I've got unbelievable belief. You know, you just kind of, you, you back yourself to say, uh, yeah, I just, I, sometimes I just know, and I wish I knew how I knew, and I need to actually analyze how I know. But, because you need to understand how to replicate it or how to share it. Yeah. Which is a really important thing, particularly at the moment. But sometimes you just instinctively know, and at the beginning of lockdown, I just instinctively knew that I needed to sit down with my team and do certain things to make the school tick over lockdown. And, and I couldn't tell you now, I could analyze it retrospectively, but I couldn't tell you now how I knew at the time. Yeah. Um, how do you think the state and the private sector can work better together? State schools are very keen, and I know this from you know, my years there, to say, look, we don't need you, and if we do, we'll let you know because actually we're pretty good at our job too. And they are, state school heads, state school teachers, you know, they're hugely invested. They probably put in even more hours, particularly in the classroom and with and children with any form of, of kind of need or difficulty. You know, they're working with much bigger class sizes, less resources, you know, in a lot of circumstances, not all. Um, and they really know what they're doing and they haven't got time to say, oh, you know, right, I'll sit down to tell you how you can help me. It's like, I just don't need it. What I need is the kind of resources you've got. Can, can, you, can you give me all that money? Can you give me some more class sizes? No, okay. But independent schools equally are saying, we want to really help. You know, we want to see what we can do. And we don't want it to be the kind of the, the, the crumbs off our table, come and use our sports or use our fields or take our science teacher for a day. So actually, I think the work that is being done in terms of celebrating collaboration um, and, and sometimes starting small scale, like one independent school working with one state school, like how can, and actually appointing people to those positions and saying, look, you know, you've got a job and what you got, there, is, there is work to be done here. State schools collaborate with each other really well. Independent schools collaborate with each other really well. We're both doing the same job. So we just build that bridge by saying, well, sit down and work it out. Yeah. Um, because there are loads of things you can do, but it's different for different schools. For one school, it's a reading scheme. For another school, it is about sports. For another school, it might be a science lesson. So independent schools shouldn't necessarily think, oh, we've got this on offer. We're really good at this. So somebody must want it. But state schools shouldn't think either, you're just going to tell us how to do it. And of course, you can't because your, your infrastructure is different. It, it's got to be sitting down and understanding what can we offer and, and what do you need? And then just finding the right schools and pairing them up. But, but it's going to take time and effort and energy, but it most of all takes an open mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that the, there's a bigger picture here and it's about improving the outcomes for all young people. And, absolutely. and I think with technology, what that's going to allow us to do is that, I mean, for me, I, the way I look at the future school and the way I look at the way that may, maybe education needs to um, develop and, and evolve is that, you know, 
only the few get inspired by the few great teachers not, and not every teacher is a great teacher and is inspiring and i hope that actually what what this digital kind of transitions happened over the last nine months has done and mm. maybe it will be a, a, a way to trial moving forward is that you give access to great teaching to as many kids not just one school but as yeah. many schools and many kids as possible because having that and i've seen it firsthand with my son and my kids actually moving moving schools and putting them in the right class with the right teacher wow yeah. what a difference and it shouldn't be like that you shouldn't go from from kind of zero to hero when it comes to a to a lesson you shouldn't hate one subject in one school and then move and suddenly it's your best subject it does to me the polar side of teaching comes out and maybe you know we need to be looking at more sort of technology driven approaches to to bridge that gap yeah and there's absolutely no secret to you know I mean, there is a magic formula but there's no secret to to what works well within school is you take the best teachers possible and the best teacher possible is a very simple thing i care about my subject and i care about the young people in front of me it's not one or the other it's got to be both uh, and, and the students you know actually are going to come with a range of yeah views about I love this but I don't like that or I want to do this but I want to do that but actually they all come because they're young with a with thirst to learn and be entertained but in a positive way you know so actually you put those two things together in, in a reasonable environment it doesn't even have to be the best environment you know the more resources the fewer people the better but you take somebody who really wants to do that job but somebody who really wants to learn and you put them together and it will happen you know the magic really does happen and what's strange is over the years there's been all kinds of studies that have been scotched and thrown out the window about there was there was a government study that was talking about the best size of school not not in terms of um economics but socioeconomics and it was coming out to about between about 900 and a thousand would give you reasonable economy of scale but it means that every child in that school can be known and that got ditched because they were building academies of like 1500 2000 so that that study kind of got uh, tucked away and there's been other studies saying um, you know what, it doesn't really matter about how big the class is, it matters about the quality of the person in front of them. And that was because class sizes in the state sector were growing to 30, 35, 40. But actually there was an equal study that was done in the states looking at uh, Israeli schools. And sorry, it's going to go a bit dull, but it's going somewhere. <laughs> it was about actually, you've got a class of 40, but if you take that class and break them down into two lots of 20, because in Israel they had a very fixed rule, which was as soon as a class becomes 41, that can't happen, it has to become a 21 and a 20. So they had perfect kind of control uh, kind of experiments together with these new, but that's class 40, that's 2021. Um, and they could see that people would do better if they were in their smaller classes because they had equivalent teachers. And it's like, so actually smaller classes are better. But the reality is, it's if you camp a really good person who wants to do the job with a group of people who really want to learn, it doesn't, no, nothing else matters. And one of the most significant ways you can do that now, and is, is doing it online yeah. because actually somebody online can reach loads of people They can do some pre-recorded videos they can do some chat they can do live experiments they can do you know here's one i made earlier and so actually it's removing that barrier of i have to be in that school to get that quality of education it's like actually i just need the internet yeah. and i can get that quality of education if you were to predict what the educate what education looked like and how things would be different what would be you'd say the, the the biggest changes say in the next five years then look at the next 10 years and then maybe the next 20 years what 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 difference should we see 
I think what we'll see in the next five years is we won't see any dismantling of the infrastructure, but I think we'll see a huge um, change in our approach to well-being because um, I think it's really high on the agenda right now, but I think it will become increasing on the agenda for different reasons and not, and not just lockdown reasons, but I think we will begin to understand that children learn best when they're happy in inverted commas. What does happy mean? It doesn't mean a smile on your face every day. It just means being fulfilled, safe, secure, um, not afraid of getting things wrong. Um, so happy means actually, it's like I can go into school and be myself and, and not be afraid to stick my hand up or keep my hand down, I'm gonna be okay. So I think we'll see a huge increase in terms of understanding children and their well-being as a route to learning rather than an add-on to learning. Like, oh, we'll do all this academic learning. By the way, we've got a really good pastoral care department over here. Uh, and if you need it, we've got a really good SEN department over here. And if you need it, we've got some really good sports over here. We'll see it actually as being more seamless. Um, yeah. And actually, pastoral will be, as it's used to, you know, will be at the heart of things rather than an add-on to things. Um, there'll be and I suppose better. that fits with your KGS tagline right now, which is work well and be happy. You know, I kind of, I threw it yeah. to you that, you know, is this a contradiction when we're kind of, you're, you're also judged on the academic kind of conveyor belt of great, great results, great kind of entrance into great universities. Um, it, yeah. do, do, do you feel that that's a, it's, it's a bit of a paradox sometimes to, to juggle or? Not, not at all, really, because, and it's one of the reasons I kind of joined the school because I thought it was something they had at the heart of the school they didn't really make enough of. So in terms of marketing, they weren't telling people about it, but in terms of actually how they performed and operated, it was absolutely there. It, it comes from a longer quote by Spinoza, which is, you know, to get the most out of life, you need to do this and do this and do this and do this. And the centre of that quote is, and you need to work well and be happy. Um, so basically, you need to do your best uh, but but be and feel fulfilled while you're doing it so work well isn't getting a stars or nines work well is you're doing the very best you can do every single day you're always testing yourself pushing yourself to be the best version of yourself you can be but being happy is that you are happy to do that and you and you won't be afraid to let things go wrong and you'll support others while doing it so actually the two things really do go to go hand in hand and i think it speaks to what I want to get out of being head of an independent school is that no parent is coming to us saying, so if I come to you, you're really good at sports, so that's your USP, right? Or, or you're really academic, that's your USP, or you're very caring, or you've got a great special needs department. Actually, I'm gonna pay you 20,000 pounds a year. I want all of that, thank you. I want the whole package. I want my child to have great sports opportunity, to be really well cared for, to get learning support if and when they need it, and come out with some great grades, and why not? What's the, what's the USP? And why not? Absolutely. And I think, I think whether it's a USP, I think a lot of it, it's tradition or historic perception. And I think mm. a lot of schools struggle to kind of, you know, un unravel themselves from this, you know, and they're, they're always just judged as being the rugby school. Oh, they're very good at rowing or they're very academic or they're very yeah, this. Yeah. And I think schools, schools struggle with that. And that's that kind of, I think everyone wants to be this broad, we can do everything, but they don't show it, you know, and as you say, mm. it's, it's how do you, how do you bust perception? Yeah. Um, with the and they become self-fulfilling prophecies and yeah. you need to kind of change that up and create this new virtuous circle of actually got lots of different people. So one year we'll have more arts graduates, another year we'll have more engineering graduates, another year more medicine, kind of people coming out going to university, different things. And they do get little trends of time and sometimes you'll have, uh, really good hockey groups and other times you have really good football groups 
but everyone feeds off each other's success. But the idea that you're going to go to a school to, you know, if you look at it from the negative perspective, which you shouldn't really should be the positive, people go, oh, I'm going to go to a really academic school, and that's brilliant. And parents will sit down and say, so easy choice. I've got three offers on the table. Which one's highest in the league tables? Um, yeah, it does make the choice easy, but it's a, that would be like just choosing the best-selling brand or, or, you know, without actually saying, which one do I like the taste of? Yeah. Which one, which one did my child walk into and, and feel that they could really see themselves there? Because all of these things are, are, are self-fulfilling prophecies of if the brightest children go to certain schools, then that school will continue to do well. But if the really sporty children continue to go to the sporty schools, that school will continue to be number one, you know, on the sports field. Um, and I think all heads are trying to mix this up and saying, no, 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 we do, as you say, we do all of these things. Yep. Um, but how do we get that across to you? And the same would apply to all state schools as well. Yeah. They want to do the idea they don't want to do co-curricular. It's about time. You know, if you put the investment in and, and, and they've got the people that can run it, they want to do loads of co-curricular and, you know, and lots of opportunities and lots of trips and visits. It just, everybody wants to do all these things because we're all in it for the right reason, which is to give children the best possible opportunity. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. So, so if we were to look 10 years, 10 years ahead, so this is when the government want nothing but electric cars. So suddenly, you know, um, from a from an industry and a society change point of view, it seems like a really good turning point. You know, education in 10 years, how do you think that's going to be different? And what does yeah, it so, need to be? Exactly, so in, in 10, 20 years time, I think you've got to be looking at the examples we've got already with EtonX, with Harrow Online, um, you've already got Khan Academy, Kumon. And if you look further afield at some of the really good substitute universities, some universities struggling with online learning, but if you look at, um, I'm doing a course at the moment with Harvard Business School, and it's all online. Most of it's pre-recorded, um, but there's a huge kind of network that's set up to support you if, you if you're struggling with something. And you think that actually that's the way education is going to go in terms of delivery. But we all know from our experience during lockdown that you can't remove the physical environment where people need to socialise uh, and do kind of activities together. So I think schools will become more of the hive of social activity um, bringing people together for those um, kind of pastoral or what we currently call pastoral reasons. Um, and a lot of the learning will be at just as accessible in the room, physically working together as it would be at home. So what we currently call blended learning will become normal learning. You yeah. can be at home if you can't get in or, or you're registered to school or you happen to be working away. So people won't leave schools because their dad's changed jobs. They'll just say, I'll work remotely for a bit. Yeah, but I'll go. But I'll go to this place down the road to get my kind of you know, societal values. My social it. piece, absolutely, and I think that, yeah. that that's the big piece because you, you you kind of plug in where universities have to go, and you know, employers now really don't rate the the degree. You know, if you kind of look at what what the the kind of the surveys are saying, and also what employers are saying, they're going that actually I just care about you. So yeah. you know, I remember university; it was not about the, the the degree I got. It was important, but not that. It was about growing up. The, the, yeah. the, the, the social elements of, of, of youth and, and independence and all those things. And that's something we do need to absolutely, and I think in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, it has to be normalised where actually I won't be part of your school, I'll be part of many schools, so actually I might decide to, to learn 
biology, um, a particular subject with one of your teachers who I think is amazing, but then I might actually go off to, to Radley to do another, or I might go off to Aylesby Grammar to do another yeah. based on where they can, it's, so it becomes pick and mix based on topic and teacher, um, yeah. which, which to me is so exciting to think that that suddenly answers the question about making it great education accessible for all. Um, exactly internet and computer as you said at, at the top so yeah. so exactly so somebody would come here because they'd say you know i live in kingston uh, and i want to row and i want to do i don't know maths and science but actually so we do say so we do computer science now and we've got steam department but let's say we didn't have those things and another school did then they might pay us their fees or, or no fees if you were a state school and then you would just transfer some of that income to another school to deliver a course where that student would, would gain that learning online from a brilliant teacher, you know, possibly the best teacher in the country. Yeah. Um, but they'd still be very much a part of your school. They would just go off and do that work. So the kind of that, that, that blend, that rich blend of, of opportunity, and that's going to force people to be better because actually think, well, if, if we've got a computer science department, but they want to do their computer science A-level with that school, actually maybe we should send our teacher to that school to do some training with that person yeah so actually everyone's got to improve and i think it's going to be a huge part of where we go next and i think we've learned that you won't get rid of schools but the way people learn will be different yeah agreed and also it's to bridge that gap between um you know the availability and access to teachers so the recruiting side you know there's not many teachers there's not enough teachers coming in doing the right subjects to to be able to deliver secondary education for the next 10 years, you know, where, where they're predicting where it's going to go. Um, yeah. You know, and obviously the independent sector cherry picked the, the best, um, rightly or wrongly, and as well as the international schools now, there's a lot of them opening up and they're actually starting to, to probably suckle the, the young, energetic ones who, who have got something about them to travel and to get that, that piece. So I think we've got a recruiting yeah. issue we need to address at some point too. Um, yeah, and teacher training, um, getting the right people in um, for the right reasons, kind of young people, strong graduates or career changers is a massive piece. And that ha that's still, despite many government initiatives, it's still happening in isolation in pockets, teaching schools, GTPs, um, skits. It needs to be brought together to say this is a genuine option. Yeah, I know that you want uh, King to Grammar School to be at the vanguard of sort of technical innovation. How are you currently doing that and what are your plans for the future? Uh, I, do you know what? I, as soon as I hear being at the vanguard of anything, I suddenly go, oh, I'm not sure I want to be at the front. <laughs> Takes me back to that kind of potential army career. No, no, no. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be 30 miles behind if you don't mind. Um, I, th I think what's interesting is where there are really big technical innovations in the world, you want to track and follow and say what's working, what's not working. Otherwise, you can quite easily invest your school into an area where you're suddenly thinking, oh, I wish we hadn't done this because someone's now doing it better or there's a better bit of kit come out. But I think there's other times when you think it doesn't really matter what anyone else is doing, that you want to be unique. I remember watching a school marketing video once, and it was a really good one. Um, and I won't mention school, but the head described it as that the school was a bit like magpies just picking up lots of good ideas from other people and then thinking how they could work for its own school. And I think that, that's a really nice description because we all do a lot of that. But there must be some things that you actually just do for yourself. And I think that's where we do try and be at the forefront, which is to say, if we don't see something being done at all or we don't see it being done well, then, then we, will, we will do everything we can in our power 
to put ourselves you know in the vanguard to say let's give it a go and then maybe some people will learn from us in the same way we learn from others so i think you know when stem came out and we quickly adopted steam and said you can't just do stem you need to include the arts otherwise it's kind of meaningless and it was huge in the states but not in the uk yeah. so we're kind of one of the first schools to be doing that and explaining what it meant and people still were saying so you're really good at stem don't get the a and you're kind of re-explaining it all the time um in terms of delivering of computer science robotics programming robot wars a lot of it is about saying to the children uh, i almost said kids and i have to kind of call myself back from saying hey kids you know but a lot of the children saying what are you interested in because they sometimes see school and home as two different things I'll do all the stuff I need to do at school and I'll do all the cool stuff at home. Um, you know, sometimes with my parents, sometimes with my friends, sometimes just on my own. So, but if you're doing that at home and it is cool, it's all learning, tell us and we'll do it in school. Yeah. So DT doesn't just be about making things out of some nice bits of wood and MDF. DT can be really exciting, electronics, programming, and you put that together with technology and put that together with physics and put it together with maths. And all of a sudden you're building a robot that's going to smash things up. Isn't that cool? You know, so that's where we want to be at the forefront of bringing things kids are interested at home, Lego robotics, mindstorms, that yeah. they're doing for fun and saying, actually, that's quite educational. Um, marketing is a massive part of school leadership to me that isn't spoken about often. I mean, what are your thoughts and how do you lead from the front when it comes to, to marketing Kingston Grammar School? I mean, I mean, what we do, I think, is we have to accept that there is a market. And what, what I think is really um, disappointing, really, within the whole independent sector, and particularly within London, is that it's a bit of a zero-sum game. So if effectively, if everyone got together and just said, let's not do any marketing, we just have a set program of Kingston Grammar School, this many students, delivers this, that everyone could get away with that. You could spend no money on marketing because actually you're not looking to increase your market. Everyone's just kind of shopping around for the same students. What would be really interesting is if people did come together and rather making a decision not to do things, saying, how can we increase the market? And is that about reducing fees or being explicit about what we offer or, or not offering conflicting offerings between each other. So I think the whole concept of marketing within the independent sector is, is, is a really interesting one. But, but currently, it's something we're quite explicit about within school and we will always be very explicit about we don't go into, you know, some forms of marketing will specifically, uh, presidential race being a, <laughs> very often, where, where bout mouthing your opponent is absolutely what you do because there are only so many votes to be gained and every person that switches from one to the other, you know, is going to be not only one gain for you, but one less for them. So it's going to make, make a gap. We actually say that we're a big market. Everyone's doing the best job possible. We absolutely will not say anything about another school and this is positive. And we always, if people say to us, what do you think of this school or that school? We say, that's a really good school. That, you know, that, that, that's a great school. Um, and what we know of them, you know, it's fine. But I always find it strange when people ask you for your opinions of other schools. And the big one we get is, so what do you think of the benefits of single sex versus co-ed? And we're like, we could really take an opportunity there to market co-ed yeah. or to talk down single sex. And I just say, I worked 20 years in single sex schools. I loved it. My youngest daughter goes to a single sex school. She loves it. Um, but I work in a co-ed school and I love it. And I think it's great. And I think it's horses to courses. You choose. You know, uh, there are some obvious pros and cons in terms of some of the things that happen. But, you know, th they're very individual to you. If you want to be in an all-boys school playing rugby, obviously is a massive pro to going to an all-boys school. If you want to be in a co-ed school um, and play hockey and have a classroom of girls and boys and whatever, there's an obvious example to going to that type of school, you know, all this kind of pro to that. So I think marketing, often people get it wrong in that respect of 
um, trying to deliver these USBs I spoke about or trying to do it at the expense of opposition. I think the key thing is to really, how can you identify what is important to your parent population through some form of conjoint analysis of actually what do they stack up on as being more important to them? Is it about the academic outcomes? Is it about the well-being? Is it about the co-curricular? Or is it all those things? And if so, what are they willing to pay for all those things? Yeah, and I and think actually, it's also down to the show not tell. You know, every, every, every school is all about you know, I, I'm going to tell you how good we are. I'm going to tell you what we do. I'm going to tell you all this. And, yeah. you know, pe people don't buy that anymore, you know, through, through kind of, you know, you don't go onto Amazon and, and buy a product with a one-star review. You know, it's about the authentic side and peers. So yeah. I think schools have got to try harder to elevate their own internal authentic voice. And that's actually what makes every school different, as you know. And to me, I'm, what I've seen with, with, with Kingston Grammar School is that you've really adopted the, the, the story, the voice sure. um, across and made, you know, and, and you've got your teachers and your faculty and your departments all owning it because they're passionate about why they teach and it really comes through and it's, you, you must be kind of blown away by, you know, because you get access to see what's going on because you can't get around such a busy, active school as yours mm. and see what's going on. Um, so that must be a really nice change. And that's absolutely the point. As soon as you say that marketing is what it is, and you don't try and hide away from it, and you just say marketing is, is, is not selling something you're not or, selling or, or underselling somebody else. It's about just actually telling your story. You all of a sudden get the physics department saying, so it's okay if we tweet about this experiment we've just done, and the language department saying, so it's okay if we put an Instagram picture up of this, of this thing we just made. You say, absolutely. So absolutely show, not tell. Uh, absolutely okay to, to, to own it and, and, and to see marketing as a, a positive thing rather than as kind of, oh, we don't need to market because we're, we're a very good school. So marketing, that's for people who aren't very good or marketing is dirty words like propaganda, you know, it's like yeah. terrible. So be positive, be open, show people what you're doing, show them from every direction. And you know what? I absolutely get that some people may look at that and say, not the marketing itself, but maybe what you're showing them and say, Oh, I don't like the look of that, but that's absolutely fine. If I'm showing you who we are and you don't like the look of it, then that's great. We've told you that maybe we're not the school for you. But if you look at it as a lot of people do and say, I love the look of that and I love yeah. the fact it's all celebrated and it's done safely, but it's also done in a very vibrant way. And, and clearly they all get very excited about it. It takes two seconds to drop a simple tweet. Sometimes we get the odd tweet or Instagram post. We go, no, that's not the same quality that we'd always want. We say, but you know what? It's real. It yeah. came from that teacher with those students. Um, are, the thing we've been quite interested in recently is should we have a school TikTok? You know, I think we should. I think we could give it to the sixth form of stone. I think they would absolutely kind of blow us away with what they could produce. But there's a lot of nervousness around, you know, TikTok being, you know, where it's come from and what you could get away with on it. And the fact it's used by a lot of university students and people to market themselves. But I think actually what you do is, you take every social media app that you can and you turn it into a positive and, and you show people who you are and what you do. Yeah, and you just got to understand them all. I mean, we actually did a, a campaign for Radley on TikTok, um, super successful, but targeted. And it's, it's, part of it is understanding the purpose of each platform, what content needs to go there so it's relevant. Otherwise, it just becomes digital noise and spam and we're just yeah. flooding all these channels with the same story in the same way and it's, it can't be done that way. And so... 
there is an education to be had, but don't be scared of these things, but do it right. And exactly, you know, and, and that's what thankfully what, what we kind of um, operate as an agency because it's, it sits true with me is that we, I want schools to be effective and efficient and not just be on these things. Um, Absolutely. And, and you sometimes need people like you that, that kind of you know, look at it and say, look, we work with lots of different schools in lots of different ways. So we can help you. We know what, but, but, but what's going to work for you? you know, yeah. I could just send you a cookie cutter kind of marketing thing, but actually what, what, what speaks to your school and your audience um, in, a, in a meaningful way? So that, that's what's quite exciting about working with you know, interactive school is that actually, you know, it's about, right, tell us about KGS. We won't just tell you what we do. You need to tell us what it is you want to promote. Yeah, and there's some exciting things that I'm going to share with you um, coming up, actually, with the, with the way we're going to realise some of your school stories and everything else into bigger experiences that are going to drive much better engagement with your parents, with your prospective families, with your students, with your teachers, and, and also with your, your, your alumni, which is Brilliant. where it needs to go. You know, how do you, how do you take this great foundation? That's the important bit, is get the foundations in place. Um, yeah. And obviously, the, a big foundation place that you've had and you've launched recently was your was your new website and i know that, that you were you were you were driving innovation you wanted it to be different and yeah take some time to get there um what do you like about it and how do you think it sums up kingston grammar school i think what i like about it the most is that it's a website that tells you about a school not just another school website i think there's a lot of kind of replication in school websites because there's a standard design out there that a lot of people go for and what was great again about working with you with interactive schools was to say we like this and we don't like that and we're not sure about this but we think we know that and actually it's just that constant experiment and process and going back and redesign because sometimes you don't know what you like until you see it and then you begin to see it and you flesh it out and you've got people that are just as excited as you are and, and just as willing to experiment as you want to be and then saying so this needs to be a website where people land on it and they can tell it's a school but it doesn't look like any other school website they've ever seen. Uh, and in fact, it looks very different from most other websites they've seen. I was um, taken with, I mean, obviously great work by my marketing department. I'm not going to undersell their, their kind of contribution to this, but I, I was hugely taken with when things like when universities send you infinity cards and basically you, you, you flip it and it'll tell you about some stats. You flip it again, it's got some images, you flip it again, it tells you about application process, flip it again, it's got accommodation. And I wanted that sense of, okay, these things, um, in a very tactile way, you just keep flipping them and you, keep, you can't stop yourself from playing with them and all the time you're absorbing information. And onto the website that did pretty much that, that people wanted to keep playing with it, wanted to keep looking at it, never got bored of it, always digesting information, but could still stop at any point and find out what it is they wanted to know. And so this uh, infinity tiling of kind of everything drawing through from all the existing so social media sources um, the constant, I can't stop playing with it. Other people can't stop playing with it. You're constantly kind of dragging, see what comes up next. Um, it, it, There's a huge amount of content and, you know, and, and massive and hats off because it takes, it takes strong leadership because there's high, high risk with this sort of strategy that, you know, you, you can kind of launch something that's, that is very much a benchmark, but you know, for it's, you know, people kind of on the outside look and go, wow, that, that's amazing. But knowing what operationally you have to do and put in place mm. to get to that point, it's like, it's like kind of taking a, a brand new car and you kind of just take it for granted. It's there, it's, but you don't realize how much time went into the planning, the engineering 
for it to be and also for it to be kept up to date and running well because yeah. you've got to keep it alive otherwise that story that you're telling and you want to tell suddenly becomes outdated um yeah. how's that been um working out for you uh, it's, it's, it's it's been it's been brilliant because i mean uh, if i'm honest with you as soon as you uh, the team are working on it and they're kind of like saying like, we need to keep it fresh, keep it up to date. We're getting great feedback from people about it. Me, my mind is already, actually I know that within three to five years, people are going to have copied this idea. So what's next? Yeah. You know, so I'm already- I've moving. already got, I've already got what's next, Stephen. <laughs> I've, I've already got what's next. And that's the same with everything. Like, you know, it's like every, every department, every bit of sport, every student, everything. I'm always saying to them, it's, you know, you've got one foot where you are now but you've got to have another foot, you know, not just your eyes looking ahead, but you've got to have another foot in what's happening next. We do it all the time. You're doing your GCSEs, but what A-levels do you want to take? You're doing your A-levels, what university do you want to go to? You're at university, what career do you want? And it's all right to stop and say, I don't know. That's okay. But as long as you know the answers, I don't know, because you've given it some thought. But actually have a foot in what's happening next. So I've got a great website, but what's the next one look like? Um, yeah. We've done some great online learning, but, but what does that look like when we're doing it for other schools? All these things we've been talking about today, are all about not being afraid to step forward into the unknown um, and take a chance. Um, and be, again, goes back to what I was saying to the children about what will and be happy. Don't be afraid to be wrong, because you'll only find out what works by getting loads of things wrong along the way. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.